new video system coming, so we're real excited about that. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Thank you, Bob. Always ministers to me as well as so many who sing. I'm grateful for it. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to begin in verse 10. As you're turning there, I was reminded this week of a narrative in... Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, there was a man named Simon, and Simon was known as a magician or a sorcerer before he came to Christ. Uh, He performed some amazing works, the scripture tells us in Acts 8, among the people of Samaria. But then a man named Philip, a disciple, a follower of God, a, a true follower of God, came into the area of Samaria, began to preach the gospel, and along with his preaching, there were amazing signs. The uh, lame were healed, and uh, great miracles were being performed. And as you read the narrative, you sort of follow that Simon is realizing that this is a power way beyond what he had experienced. And Through that narrative, we read that Simon himself became a follower of Christ under the preaching of Philip. Now, the gospel was moving in, and we're going to look at uh, this today, but it was moving into a new territory. The Samaritans, people who were not fully Jews, were beginning to receive the gospel and believe. And there was some question, you know, are people who are beyond being Jews able to become Christians? And so to affirm that, uh, the scripture tells us in Acts 8 that uh, Peter and John arrived in Samaria to verify, and indeed they verified, and uh, they prayed and they laid hands on people. And as uh, Simon, this former magician who was doing the works of Satan, the sorcerer, saw these works. He was euphoric. He began to become very excited. And he said, give me this power also so that I can lay hands on people and they may receive the Holy Spirit. To that, Peter responded, Simon, may your gifts be destroyed with you um, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God, uh, with money. And then he said, your heart is not right with God. And immediately Simon said, pray, Peter, uh, for me. You know, as we look at that and when that happened, Simon believed that uh, the power of the Holy Spirit could just serve him. And, And we understand that he thought, boy, I would love to have that power myself Yet Peter stopped, he corrected him, and he said, your heart is not right with God. And as uh, Peter, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, began to understand there were issues beneath the surface uh, that Simon was dealing with, bitterness and, and uh, wickedness and things like that. And basically, Peter's attitude was, you want the exciting, spectacular things But in the midst of your life, there's some things that are not right, and that's important. So today we're looking again at uh, one of the early gifts of the church, the gift of tongues. And and as we look at that in light of this illustration, uh, we would understand today that there were some who were practicing the gift of tongues in the church there at Corinth. 
and it was not to benefit the church as a whole. It was a spectacle. In a way, it was a sideshow, and it did not lead the church to grow closer, but it actually served to, to, to bring confusion in the church there. With that in mind, look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 10. He says, There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, verse 10, none is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding, that is my mind, is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. In other words, Paul is saying here, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. It could be both. He said, I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, or if you praise with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? For you may very well be given thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word again today, and we look for the second week at the subject of prophecy and tongues. Lord, we thank you that you are the giver of spiritual gifts, and as the giver, Lord, you determine the time of usage, you determine the purpose of usage. And Father, as we look at this subject, it'd be so easy to, to look at a gift and to point the fingers at others. But Lord, as we look at our own lives, what it really comes down to today is, are we using the gifts that you have given us to build up others and to glorify you? Father, help us to... Um, challenge ourselves to follow through to use our gifts in such a way and i pray it in jesus name amen you know the church is a beautiful thing in fact as i began to listen uh to bob sing just a moment ago i was encouraged by spirit and in the midst of this i was thinking how he uses gifts that god has given him whether it be here in a nursing home or wherever to bring glory and to minister to others. I think about, as I look around, all of you here who are serving the Lord in the local church and using your gifts. We're in the midst of a series of messages 
And it's, it's really titled Life in Community, and that is life in the church. We don't live as an island, as individuals, but we live as a community. Uh, Paul challenged our young people as on in this past in the middle of the week as they're preparing for their mission trip, how it's important that they encourage and build others up as they minister to others. And so that's the desire of the church, and that is the beauty of the church. That's why it is great when you go out with a group of Christians and you're hanging with brothers and sisters and there's joy and maybe you're in a public place and people say there's something different and God intends it that way. Yet as we look at the work of the church also, we realize that God is a God of order. He's not of disorder. In fact, as you awaken today, you awakened expecting to see that sun in the eastern sky. And tonight, you'll expect it to set. There's seasons that we can count on. God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of order. And so as we look at the gifts that God gives, he gives those with a clear intent and in order. But the problem that was happening in the church at Corinth was there was disorder. There was confusion. Uh, there were some people who were saying, we have gifts of great uh, and impressive nature, and they are so important. And, and we can understand by Paul's reprimand here that they were focusing on themselves. And the gifts that God gives is never for the benefit of the one who has received that gift, but that gift is to go to serve the church as a whole. And that wasn't happening there. And so Paul begins to speak practically, and we looked at it last week, that prophecy and tongue speaking, two gifts that were given, again, I believe to be inceptive gifts. They were given in the early church for the purpose of glorifying God. But in this comparison, he is saying prophecy is greater. We saw it last week in the beginning of the chapter. And, and no matter how it might look, how impressive it might look to speak in a language that the hearers may not understand, he's saying functionally, I would rather you preach a word of prophecy. And we talked last week, and I think it's important again to emphasize, there are no prophets today. There are preachers. And the reason there are no prophets today is we have the complete word of God. There is no new prophecy there's nobody who is receiving a new word from the Lord. Now, I don't know what the nomenclature or the purpose would be if someone calls himself or herself a prophet, but what I'm saying is this. The word of God is equipped for every good work. That's what we studied out of 1 Timothy uh, last week, chapter 3 and verse 16. That's what we looked at. It's, it, the word of God is equipped. It's very interesting. Um, one thing I I do, uh, I enjoy reading biographies, enjoy reading uh, narratives and, and studying documentaries. Yesterday I was sitting in front of the TV and I saw a documentary that was on one of the channels and it was on uh, a cult. And this man who called himself a prophet was leading people into a convent, was mistreating females and all in the name of being a prophet. And I was saying if people would have just understood that there are no prophets today. Now, there are preachers, and there are people who can speak a clear word, a word for a moment, but in the biblical definition of prophecy, that's a foundational gift. You don't rebuild the foundation. 
And so as we look at the gift of tongues here, the gift of tongues we're going to see today was also given in the early church for a specific purpose. And so I want to look at this today. I want to address first what I know to be a false representation of the gift of tongues in the church today. Then I want to look one more time at the purpose of spiritual gifts in general. And finally, we're going to measure the gift of tongues as it was being practiced in Corinth to this purpose of spiritual gifts. But first, I want to look at this false representation. And again, when I preach the word, I am not shaming other denominations. My goal is to not get into uh, throwing mud. I'm not saying that I just, as the flock here, it's my responsibility to preach the truth of the word of God. But in some circles today, there's a teaching that's called the second blessing. And they say, you've got to, brother, you have to, sister, receive the second blessing. And this teaching is this. A person can become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, but must wait for a subsequent time to have an experience of the Holy Spirit and that that will come oftentimes through the laying on of hands and then as a result would issue forth into the speaking of tongues. I want to take about five minutes scripturally to refute it. It's not what Rick is teaching. It is what the scripture teaches. But it's this. First, this teaching says that speaking in tongues is the sign that one has experienced such a blessing, that one has reached a greater apex, that one has matured in the faith. The problem, though, is that tongue speaking as a gift is not equated with spiritual maturity. In fact, here in Corinth, Corinth was probably one of the most carnal churches, if not the most carnal and and least advanced church spiritually of those to whom Paul wrote. Yet it is this very subject that he's addressing in their midst. Uh, Tongue speaking, as it was given, was just a gift and that a lesser gift. A lesser gift, as we've seen, you say, well, how do you say it's a lesser gift? It's, it was impressive. It was impressive. We're seeing what the word of God says. Paul says, I speak in tongues, but I would rather you speak five words in prophecy than I would have you speak 10,000 words in another tongue. In other words, he's saying five is greater than 10,000. So Paul, in the word of God, is not elevating the gift of tongues to being equated with spirituality. In fact, we might argue that teaching the word of God would be a greater gift than speaking in tongues. Yet do you realize some of the most godly people I've met in my life will never preach a sermon nor teach a Sunday school lesson. And it's very important, church, that we understand this. And this is a key point. The fruit of the Spirit is a greater test of excellence or maturity in the Christian life than the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a greater measure of advancement in the Christian life than the gifts of the Spirit. I've seen and you have seen people who have had gifts of the Spirit and they may be spectacular in the administration of it, but their life is not marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is the measure of advancement. 
And so as we look at it, this thought that we must wait for a second blessing that is a sign that we have attained a greater spirituality and it will be accompanied by tongues is contrary to the teaching of Scripture. So you say, well, where does this teaching come from? Well, it has as its basis really a couple of texts from the book of Acts. And one we looked at with Simon in the opening illustration. In Acts chapter 8, as we said, Peter and John, they arrived at Samaria. And it's very important for us to understand the gospel was moving into a new territory. The gospel, which had been for Jews only, was now moving to people who had both Jewish and Gentile ancestry. And so there was a thought that the gospel, the monotheistic faith, the Jews, these believers who were following the Lord Jesus Christ, is the gospel also for people of other nationalities and affirmatively and strongly it was yes and so Peter and John arrived they saw what was happening and the scripture says that when they arrived they laid hands on the people and there were miracles and there was Simon who was fascinated by it his thought was I want what Philip had I want and he went to Peter I want what you and John have and and we understand that that was accompanied by these great signs. And so one of the signs, although it doesn't speak directly here, we could probably accurately say would be tongues. Why is that? Because the other account in Acts we see is found in Acts chapter 19. And in that case, the apostle Paul himself came to the Ephesian uh, people. And he said, have you heard of the baptism of Jesus? They said, we've only had the baptism of John the Baptist. They had been baptized in a baptism of repentance. And repentance is essential for salvation, but we know it must be accompanied with faith in Jesus Christ. And so the scripture says that he preached Christ to them. He laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in tongues. Now, adherents of the second blessing would say this. That is the norm of the Christian life. That is normative. It can and should happen in every person's life. Well, how do we address this false notion? Well, first, we must distinguish between the various aspects of Scripture. There's descriptive and prescriptive teaching. Descriptive describes what happens. There are many narratives that happen in the Bible. Prescriptive prescribes, gives a command, gives an expectation for all of Christianity. And so a way to illustrate it would be this. When God was preparing to give the Ten Commandments, Moses didn't just stay at the bottom, but he went up the mountain, and the Scripture says that he went up the mountain. That described what happened. But then when he was given the Ten Commandments, those were Ten Commandments prescribed for all other people. And so we see a descriptive part and a prescriptive part uh, in, in the same context. But here we see that that there were individuals who were teaching, and there are individuals today who are teaching what happened in Acts 8, what happened in Acts 19. They are normal things that are to happen in the Christian life. 
Yet, as we look later in the book of Acts, in, in, in chapter 18, Paul and his very ministry to Corinth here, which was an 18-month ministry, received a message from the Lord. And the Lord said to Paul, he says, I know you're threatened, and I know that there are many dangers here, but I have many people in this city, and you will not experience loss of life or harm. That described a promise that was given to Paul. That doesn't mean that I can go into a country today that is violently against Christianity and claim Acts chapter 18 as my own promise. No, that was a promise that was given contextually to Paul in a particular situation. So you say, where are you going with this? Well, whenever we study the scripture, we must interpret scripture based on clear passages. We must look at a descriptive passage, and if it contradicts a clear teaching or prescriptive passage, we must say that's wrong. Look with me at Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. In Romans in chapter, in chapter 8 and verse 9, Paul is writing about the life in the Spirit. And so follow what he says there in Romans 8 and verse 9. Well, let's pick up at, at verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We looked at that in, in the Sunday school lesson last week for our class this week. But then he says in verse 9, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now follow this. Paul is saying, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, then that person is not in Christ. So what that is telling us, that the believer's life is a life in the spirit. That when we trust Christ, the spirit of God comes into our lives. It's not that we must wait. And why, why would God wait and save us from sin and not immediately equip us to live a life that's fully pleasing to him. It is through the spirit that we do that. So rather than saying you need to be saved and you need to wait for a time for a second blessing that will be manifest with this sign, we need to say in Romans 8, 9, that life as a Christian is life in the spirit. Now, not everybody is filled with the spirit. There's a command that we be filled with the spirit, that we yield ourselves to the spirit's work. And so wrong teaching can happen when we allow descriptive parts of the scripture to trump or overthrow clear teachings of scripture. The clear teaching says that the life in the spirit is the Christian life. Well, let's look specifically at the gift of tongues. And we've been looking uh, throughout this entire study, at least since chapter 12, about the purpose of spiritual gifts. And hopefully by this time, you know what those two purposes are. But in the midst of this smaller study of prophecy and tongues for the last two weeks, we've really seen two things going on. At, in one way, we've looked at this phenomenon of the ability to speak and understand languages that are not known to others within the group that you're speaking. And we talked about the temporary nature of it and how the intent 
was a sign to draw people to the truth of the gospel as the gospel was newly coming into this area. We talked about its definition, that it's not ecstatic utterances, but it actually is known languages that were not known to those who were speaking. We looked at uh, later in uh, chapter 14 uh, last week as, as we looked, I believe, at verse 22. We talked about how to wrongly use the gift, how people were wrongly using the gift. But pertinent, along with all the dynamics of speaking in tongues, was this underlying teaching that Paul is giving. And it's this, whatever the gift, whether it be a miraculous gift or what we talked about last week, a sign gift, or whether it be a practical gift like helps or mercy, whatever the gift, there's a twofold purpose. One is to build up the body of Christ, and the other is to glorify God. Now, in the closing illustration, we're going to look specifically at one individual who had many abilities, but we would not call them gifts in the spiritual because they were not these abilities that he had were given to him by God, but they were not in the context of the church. And we'll see that this individual used uh, the abilities that he had for himself. But in the church, God gifts the church to build up the church and to glorify God. And that's true whatever the gift. If a preacher is preaching, just trying to impress with his study or his speaking, then that preacher is wrong. If someone sings just to say, boy, don't I have a beautiful uh, voice, then that motive is wrong. If someone serves in the church thinking, I'm going to serve this person's child so that they will serve and do for me later, that's wrong. There's to be a twofold purpose, purely serving others, seeing them grow in Christ, and glorifying God. Well, with that in mind, look at verse 11 as we move through 1 Corinthians 14. He says, after he speaks about many different kinds of languages in the world without meaning, he sets the context there. It's not some otherworldly language, but there are many languages in the world. But in verse 11, he says, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. In other words, what he's saying there is if I don't understand him and he does not understand me, then we are foreigners. In other words, if this person is speaking in a language that I don't understand, that's not drawing me closer to that person. That's placing a wedge. That's not a result of, of the redemption of Christ. That is a result of one of the manifestations of the fall, which was at Babel when the, when the language was confusing. And so what he's saying here is to use this gift wrongly, as he was speaking to the early church, didn't build up. It actually led to confusion and separation. Then as we look at uh, verse 12, he moves on. And he says, so also, since you're zealous, zealous for spiritual gifts, what? Seek to excel in building up the church. In other words, rather than being excited about the gift like old Simon was in that opening illustration, be more focused on ministering to people and the gift that you have. And so that's very important. So as we look at verse 13, he says, Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he could interpret. In other words, for his gift to be beneficial, it did not need to be meaningless to those who were hearing, but he needed to pray that he would be able to 
interpret. Well, why interpret? So that the church could be built up. And when the church is built up, then God would be glorified. It, 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 you know, it may feel good emotionally to be tearing off in a language that no one else knows. People may look and be impressed with it, or maybe they scratch their head and think, what's going on here? But Paul writes the problem with this in regard to speaking the tongues at Corinth was twofold. First, it did not serve the whole person. Look at verse 14 and 15. He says, what then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. That's verse 15. But before that, he says in 14, if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, it's almost like when we get up in the morning, older people, and we're trying to tell our leg what to do, and it just doesn't do it like it used to. There's a disconnect there. What he says, there's a disconnect here. I may be praying in my spirit, but it's not benefiting my mind. And there are faiths out there that are false faiths that try to separate spirit and body. They try to separate spirit and mind. But the Christian faith is where to do what? To love the Lord our God with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our heart and all our strength. And so what he's saying here, it's not serving the whole person if you're doing this and not interpreting. But then look at verses 16 and 17. It also doesn't serve the whole church. It doesn't involve the whole church. Look at, uh, at uh, verse 16. In verse 16, he says, Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsiders say amen at your giving of thanks? Since he does not know what you're saying. So what he's saying practically he, here, not only is it, if you're not, if you're not interpreting, not only is it dividing your, your understanding, your mind from your spirit, but it is dividing within the church because people do not know what you're saying. They cannot be blessed. That word amen is an affirming, uh, so may it be word. Verse 17, for you may very well be given thanks, but here's the point, the other person is not being built up. And so Paul makes a clear statement here that our speech is to be an instrument to unify the church, not to confuse and to build up. That's why elsewhere he says we're not to be gossips, that we're not to be individuals who slander uh, with the word. We were studying, uh, we went back and studied last week's lesson this week. We jumped and for yet to be in our class to understand that in Sunday school. But I appreciate what John said. When you go through the list of the, the works of the flesh, a lot of them are easy to talk about. But when it gets to gossip, slander, jealousy, things like that, uh, many of us are guilty of that. And, and God's Spirit will convict us. God's Spirit has convicted me to watch what I say. And so what was happening here, their speech was not unifying the church. But as we look at all gifts... Our gifts should build up the church. Our gifts should lift up the Lord. And that's why he says in verse 18 and 19, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding than 10,000 words in another tongue. Why is that? In order to teach others also. So Simon had it all wrong. He was saying, give me that gift. But what he was thinking, I want to be the center of attention. I want the power. And Paul is teaching here in Corinth that don't use the gifts to impress people. 
Don't have the wrong motive. Serve others. Glorify God. Well, let's look finally at the specific purpose for the gifts of tongues. We understand to build up and to glorify. Why was this gift given? The miraculous gifts were given, I believe, in the context of the early church to validate or authenticate the gospel. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around it because we have lived our lives in our own circle. But could you imagine being a Jew and the gospel all of a sudden is moving to non-Jews and you're thinking we're a monotheistic people, we're a covenant people, how can this gospel be going to people who are only half Jew? How can the gospel be going to Gentiles? And what happened like in the case with Paul and in Acts chapter 19, he went and he laid hands on, and there were great signs that were happening. And those signs specifically were to validate, yes, the gospel. So the Jews who were there, they saw the work of God, and they said, yes, it's okay. The gospel is moving into a new territory. The, the Gentiles or the half-Jews were saying, you know, I'm not sure if really I'm worthy. They looked at like the Syrophoenician woman that was wondering if she could be worthy to eat the scraps of the dog. But when they saw the sign, they were saying, yes, Gentiles can be saved. Samaritans can be saved. And that sign was given to authenticate it. And so it happened historically. In many third world countries or in, in, in places today where the gospel is not prevalent, what we would call unreached, unengaged people groups. Many times individuals will have supernatural things happen. They'll receive a dream. They'll experience that because God is drawing. But the fact of the sign is not to be the focus itself, but to serve to bring people to Christ. And that's what it was. That was the intent. Look at verse 22, speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign not for believers but for unbelievers while prophecy is not for unbelievers but for believers. In other words, the teaching of the word was to disciple and help people grow through the prophecy in the early church but, but the sign of speaking in tongues positively would draw attention to the gospel itself. And so what we see here is the purpose of prophecy. The clear message in prophecy built up the church. Other tongues were signs to point people to the truth of the gospel. And we see it in Acts 19 and in Acts chapter 8. But then Paul paints a scenario in verse 23. And this is a scenario where the gift of tongues, for lack of a better term, got out of whack, was not being used as it was intended. People were just speaking out. There was no interpretation. There was confusion. But notice what it says. If therefore, verse 23, the whole church assembles together, everyone's come together, all are speaking in other tongues, and people who are outsiders, that is, unbelievers, come in, 
Will they not say you're out of your minds? Now here's a gift that's intended to draw unbelievers to Christ, but because the gift was not used to build up or to glorify the Lord, it led to confusion. And so what was intended to be used of God to draw people to him instead was turning people away. Because won't they say that you're out of your mind? But notice what he says in verse 24, but if all are prophesying and some believer outsider comes in, he is convicted by all, is called account by all, and the secrets of his heart will be revealed. That is, he'll repent and he'll worship God and he'll proclaim, this is really a work of God. God is really among you. Now remember, as we look back at Acts 8 and 19, what's the purpose of tongues? So that they would say, yeah, this is a work of God. But what he's saying in the context of the church, when, it, when prophecy is handled right, then people will come in, they'll see, they'll be convicted, they'll worship God, they'll repent of their sin, and they'll say, this is a place where the word of God is truly being experienced. So where does this lead for tongues? Tongues in its inception was intended to draw attention to the gospel. Tongues did not validate the gospel. Tongues did not save. They did not supplant the gospel. They merely pointed to the gospel, which is the power of God to salvation to all who believe. So in this scenario, in verses 23 through 25, when individuals came in and heard the clear teaching of the word, they were convicted. And we're saved. Now, there's one other verse. We're almost finished. Verse 20. I wrote this in my book. I have a book of certain scriptures um, probably a couple years ago, not really looking at it in context, but I want to uh, set it in context today for us in this study. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. Well, what's he saying here? This seems to not fit in the context. Well, it does fit in the context. Don't be childish in your thinking is this way. Have you ever been around a two or three-year-old and another child comes in the room and that two or three-year-old has that toy? They don't want to share that toy. This is my toy. And what's the parent doing? Speaking and grown up, we need to learn how to share. Let that person use it. So what is, when he says childish in your thinking, what he is saying is, don't say this is mine, it's for me alone, it's nobody else. That's what was happening with the people who had the gift. They wanted the gift, but the gift was very self-centered and selfish. So he said, in regard to evil, be infant and be infants. In other words, don't understand all of the innuendos, don't understand all of the things that are ungodly. But when it comes to practically living in the Christian life, don't be selfish like a young child. So we're to use our abilities to build up others and to glorify Christ. As we close out this two-week part of the study, I want to look at two leaders, 2,000 years separated them, differing in purpose. One was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was one of the most impressive people to walk the face of the earth, but he wasn't a follower of Christ, so he was very foolish he conquered the known world with great swiftness. Daniel depicts his rule as that of a leopard. He was energetic, supremely focused, possessed great military and leadership abilities. 
But the swiftness of his rise was only matched by the swiftness of his fall. He died at the age of 32 with no successor. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the second. He is the greatest ever to walk the face of the earth. There's none like him. Alexander the Great died at the age of 32, 33 years old. Within just a couple of hundred years, the vast empire that he worked to build was gone. We just read about him in history. We studied him when we studied the book of Daniel. One of the things that was impressive about him was, boy, he was driven to conquer. In fact, in that day, when, when a territory uh, and a military leader overcame, they would have a harem as the reward, not Alexander the Great. He said, I don't have time for women. I got to get more territory. And so he was focused, but his focus was wrong. Why is that? Because he was focused on himself. He was focused on himself. The Lord Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I was reading this past week um, just a biographical account of Booker T. Washington. Booker T. Washington was founder of Tuskegee Institute, was a great, great civil rights leader. People of his own race many times criticized him and said, you need to be more political, you need to be more this, more that. And he just kept doing what he was doing. Other people of other races were critical of him. But he said this in his autobiography, Up From Slavery, He said, as for my individual self, it seemed to me to be reasonably certain that I could have succeeded in political life. But I had a feeling it would be rather kind of selfish in that kind of success. Individual success at the cost of failing to do my duty in assisting in laying a foundation for the masses. In other words, the political aspirations he never attained. He focused on education. People were saying, why don't you become more political? He said, I could have made a name for myself, but then the great masses would have suffered. And as we look at spiritual gifts, that should be our attitude, not to elevate ourselves, but our spirit should be, Lord, my life, my gifts, my abilities. May they serve you. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ did. He came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word today, we thank you that you care enough about us to instruct us in your word. Lord, we need to know your word better. I need to know it better. But Father, everything that we need for power, for life, for evangelism is in the word of God. There is nothing new to be added to it. Father, you will speak to us through it. And Father, we thank you for the gifts, both the inceptive gifts and the gifts that are at work in the church today. And Lord, help us to keep our focus that we're to serve others for your glory in whatever way you gift us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Aren't you glad?